time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all Welcome the back, lies. holiday boy, to Cold yes. War One Ninety Five. Uh, Thank you. Had a you. Good, uh, this is like your fifteenth vacation, I think, for this calendar year. Was it? Yes. How was it? Was it good? Yeah. It was good. You know, it rained a little bit more, but as you probably know, or you've heard, or suspect, more rain leads to more drinking. And more drinking leads to more talking, and more talking leads to um, epiphanies, other people's. And we had a good time. Confessions, confessions, late night, late night confessions. I'm good. I, I, I had I had a good time. We ignored the kids for a week. You know, good all well, around. This 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 the, these shows that we took together is really your confessional. This is your it therapy. Is. I, this is where this I, is put, I drag it all out of you slowly. This is the only reason we've been doing this podcast for the last ten years. Is it's my attempt. <laughs> Right to, to extract yes, confessions it's working. from you one uh, at a time. <laughs> the person that I was, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. person that I am now, and I'm going to leave that right there. I have you to thank. That's all I'm yeah. saying. That's you're Heather much happier. You. Yeah, higher. Yeah, the middle finger uh, comes up so much quicker now. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. And just look, officer. I said, yeah. fuck you. Now move your car. You know, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Channeling your inner Australian. That's, that's right. Like, <laughs> that's right. Hmm. Exactly. Anyway. Between the 10th and the 15th of July, Ray, in the year 1950. Wow. All right. The US 25th Division landed in Korea. Oh, good. Uh, so we know it's all over now. The 25th oh, is there. The 25th. Ass. The legendary US 25th Division. Right. Uh, famous from such battles as uh, something. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. Waiting for you to jump in there. Nicknamed. What's the nickname of the 25th Infantry Division, Ray? Oh. Um, oh, God. Um, Wolfhounds? I don't know. That was someone. Was that someone no, that's, else? That's someone else, yeah. Um, junior Wolfhounds. No, Tropic Lightning. I like Tropic, Tropic Thunder better. Uh, well, that's what Tropic Thunder is based oh, off of, right? Tro- gotcha. Tropic Thunder is gotcha. a sneaky reference sounds to like, uh, Tropic Lightning. I can I just anyway. say, it sounds like a down there disease. That's all I'm saying. It sounds, it sounds like someone had a good time and then had to go get some, top, a series of shots. The, so. You need to get some topical lightning. Right. Uh, <laughs> Put the yeah, ointment, cream. cream. Yeah, right. If it doesn't yeah, work, yeah, come yeah, back yeah. and we'll do the needle. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they yeah. so they guys are tough. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. All well, right. they they've been around uh, since 1941. First of October 1941 in Hawaii, mm-hmm. they were put together. Right. Their job was to basically uh, be responsible for the military operations in the Pacific Asia Pacific region for the United States, and they landed. And everyone thought, well, that's it. We're gonna get the right. banner, put the big banner up. <laughs> mission accomplished. <laughs> Tropic Bring lightning is here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but right. unfortunately, the 25th yeah. didn't really fare any better than uh, Team Smith or right. anyone else that had come before them. In fact, on the 20th of July, 
the 24th Infantry of the 25th Division. Right. Uh, just ran away after facing uh, 15 seconds of battle at a place right. called Yechon. Now, tell me everything you know about the 24th Infantry of the 25th Division, Ray. You mean as far as their history? I want their person dead. I want their family <clears throat> dead. I want their dog dead. That is the job of the Army, the Armed Forces, yes. Uh, I, I don't have their um, I'm here for background you, or anything like that. <laughs> I'm crying to my pillow. I thought we uh, struck that one from the recording from the soundboard. I, uh-huh, Cheryl, uh, get the contract. Yeah. Right uh, when when I was doing the bullshit filter uh, COVID episodes with right. uh, Trevor Bell last week, he mm-hmm. pulled out his original, oh the original version of the Ray soundboard. Did you? And he was using it, uh, yeah. you know, deliciously. <laughs> Did y'all try to out Ray soundboard each other? <laughs> no, I didn't. Okay. I didn't have to because he was doing all the race soundboard. He was doing me. such a, a good job. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, the twenty fourth infantry of the twenty fifth division Ray, was an all black unit. Oh, that's right. I mentioned them on the last at the end of the last show. I apologize. I don't remember. That it was a couple of weeks ago. Because you know what they say about laundry, Ray. It applies to the military. You never mix your colours with your whites. So uh, they because they could run. God. You never mix your colours right. with your whites because they could run. And these guys. Wow did run. They yes. ran so, away. Uh, so did a lot of other white units before this moment. But yes, absolutely. But, you know, the, this whole segregation of units into black units and white units in the U.S. military was important because if, you know, you don't want, if, if somebody gets shot next to you, you don't want to get the wrong kind of blood on you. Could contaminate That's, your blood. And uh, I'm I think that was the... I think, right. Well, you're from the South. Nobody knows more about right. racial segregation than you, Ray. You're from the South. I was hoping you could explain to me the rationale between all black right. units. Um, I don't know if it comes from the Romans where some blood was superior to others, but in the South, and we still have sundown towns in the South. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, the idea I, I don't, of having, Wait, 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 wait. I don't know what that is. You What's do a not? Oh, town? No, okay. No. What year is it? Uh, here or uh, yeah, in, no. in, in the United we're, States? We're not playing Twilight Zone here and now. 2021. You could look up sundown towns, and there's a list of sundown towns in the South where if you are not white, you'd better not stop in that town. You best not spend the night in that town. Um, and the people who, the black people who live in the state of those towns, pass on to other African-Americans about warning them about the town. So it is something that still exists in America. Uh, so According the, to Wikipedia, sundown yeah. towns, also known as sunset towns, gray towns, or sundowner towns, are all white municipalities or neighborhoods yes. in the United States that practice a form of racial segregation by excluding non-whites via some combination of mm-hmm. discriminatory local laws, intimidation, or violence. Mostly the violence. Yes. Holy shit. How so, have I never heard of this before? So now you're asking me about if you're a white guy from the South, if the guy next to you is black and he gets shot and some of his blood splatters on you, you're not worried about your comrade who you should be because he's protecting your right flank. You're worried about did you so- suddenly get something from his blood because of the ignorance and the prejudice. So absolutely insane. But that was a legitimate, not a legitimate, that was a real fear that 
ignorant uh, prejudiced people had in the army. And you're right, they didn't. They they're going to mix them later, but they're not mixing them right now at this moment because they're a little bit busy trying to hold on to their little slice of South Korea. Have you ever heard of the uh, Negro Motorist Green Book? I think so. Someone on TikTok, there's a woman on TikTok that talks about the, the various sundown towns. That sounds familiar, but I don't know anything about it. Oh, that's what the Green Book, the film starring yeah. Maha Shala Ali. I haven't seen that yet. That's yeah, that's I haven't about. seen it either. But the Green yeah. Book. Well, I got it in Wikipedia. It says described by former NAACP President Julian Bond as one of the survival tools of segregated life. The Negro Motorist Green Book. Mm-hmm was an annual segregation-era guidebook for African-American motorists published by New York travel agent and former Hackensack, New Jersey letter carrier Victor H. Green. It was published right. in the United States from 1936 to 1966 during the Jim Crow era when discrimination against non-whites was widespread. Road yep. trips for African-Americans were fraught with inconveniences and dangers because of racial segregation, racial profiling by police, the phenomenon of travelers just disappearing, and the existence of numerous sundown towns... Yep. According to author Kate Kelly, there were at least 10,000 sundown towns in the United States as late as the 1960s. In a sundown town, non-whites had to leave the city limits by dusk or they could be picked up by the police or worse. Yes. Holy yes. crap. That so, is yeah. something. So for all the African-Americans who live in the South, please get vaccinated. The people that oppose you, about 30 or 40% of them are not going to get vaccinated. And we'll just let Mother Nature... Do the rest. Well, anyway, I looked anyway. in. I looked into the history of this all black unit thing. Yes, um, yes. Uh, and you know, they they the, particularly this twenty fourth uh, infantry of the twenty fifth division copped a lot of criticism uh, for their um, retreating, uh, strategic retreating in, in right. Korea in la- in late of September nineteen fifty. Two mm-hmm. months after the beginning of the Korean War, the commander of the 25th Infantry Division, Major General William B. Keane, right. requested that the 8th Army disband the all-black 24th Infantry Regiment because it had demonstrated that it was, in his words, untrustworthy and incapable of carrying out missions expected of an infantry regiment. Bullshit. Now... There is actually an official history about this unit that was commissioned by the U.S. military in 1987, which I got my hands on. Right. I'm going to uh, read some of the highlights from it. Please. Um, The situation in the 24th Infantry did not arise in a day. It grew out of a history extending back over 100 years to the abolition of the system of slavery that had marred the American experience from its beginning. For once, the African-American had been freed of his bondage and had gained some rights of citizenship. It made sense that he should serve in the nation's armed forces. Yet vast hostility to blacks remained in the very fabric of the society, so much so that the integration of whites and blacks into the nation's army seemed out of the question. As a result, although blacks served, they always did so apart, segregated into battalions, regiments and and divisions reserved exclusively for them. They fought dependably and creditably on the Western frontier in the Spanish-American War and during the Philippine Insurrection. The Philippine Insurrection. Is that where Uh, they were trying uh, to get freedom and we shot them? Yes, that that would be the... Official, just, to, the official name of the uh, just want to make sure the, Fili- the Filipino American right. War, where the Philippines right. were like, no, don't invade our land. It's called the Philippine Insurrection. 
but they never seemed able to overcome the attitudes of the white nation that employed them. Instead, the white world pulled back into itself by enacting separate but equal laws that had the effect of rendering African-Americans and their contributions invisible. When segregated soldiers rebelled against that system at Houston at the beginning of World War I, the mistrust mm-hmm. they engendered among whites helped to erase whatever credit black units had earned in earlier wars and influenced how white commanders viewed them in subsequent conflicts. In World Wars I and II, the African-American soldiers seemed destined to for failure from the beginning. Ascribing to assertions that blacks were lazy and of low intellect, the army's commanders used them mainly to perform menial tasks, such as unloading ships and digging ditches. Even when finally constrained by political pressure to form all black regiments and divisions and to allow African Americans to enter combat, they tended to employ them in areas where little would be lost if they failed. Mm. When black Americans performed well, as they did when they fought under French command in World War I, White America made little of their successes, but when they failed, as some did, the news was well circulated. Overall, few in positions of authority were willing to admit that the system of racial segregation was at fault or that a lack of mutual confidence and respect between the black soldier and his white commanders had all but destroyed the sense of oneness, mutual dependency and self-worth in black units that are the chief constituents of good military performance. The 8th Army in Japan provides a case in point. Most of its soldiers were civilians at heart, intent upon enjoying the pleasures of life in occupied Japan, where a GI salary could pay for an abundance of readily available pleasures. In many units, black market activities thrived, alcoholism was rife, and venereal disease flourished. Sounds like like your life. But the number one transgression (laughs) in the 8th Army in the spring of 1950 was drug abuse. It spread with sometimes near abandon in many units, particularly those that served like the 24th Infantry in or large, in or near large port cities. Right. Now, I wasn't aware of this. Uh-huh. You know, when I think, uh, you know, when I think of uh, drugs and the U.S. military, I often think of Vietnam. Right. Uh, Me too. You know, we 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 touched on some of that in our uh, early parts of our Vietnam series, uh, but. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, this is this the, it goes back far earlier yeah. uh, to you know Japan at least. Do we know if it was opium mostly, or does I, it I'm, say? Does it didn't say? But I'm I would be guessing it would that probably would be, my, be opium. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, besides sake, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Unwritten but firmly held assignment policies, for example, ensured that black officers, whatever their competence, would rarely, if ever, command whites. Throughout the years prior to the Korean War, as a result, except for one lieutenant colonel, the senior commanders of the regiment were white. As for its field-grade officers, only the chaplains and a few majors in unimportant assignments were black. The mistrust that resulted on both sides was largely hidden behind a screen of military conventions and good manners, but it was still there. Black officers were frustrated and resentful. They saw that most promotions and career-enhancing assignments went to white officers, some of whom were clearly inferior to them in education and military competence. Aware, as well, that few, if any of them, would ever rise to a rank above captain, they could only conclude that the army considered them second class. They retaliated by developing a view, as one African-American lieutenant observed years later, that the 24th was a penal regiment for white officers who had screwed up. 
And it concludes, the results of the study clearly suggest that what happened to the 24th Infantry in Korea was a product of injustices that afflicted black Americans prior to the formal integration of the army. Until recently, historians have tended to interpret the regiment's performance without recognising those prejudices and the corrosive effects they had on cohesion within the unit. The whole story is much different. Mm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yes, sir, the, the, the bald child uh, in the back, yes. Bald, bald man-child. Thank you. I think I've earned that by now. Uh, thank you for, uh, for taking my question. Um, when we started this Korean War um, series, um, the 24th Division, the first parts of it, the first elements of the 24th Division that went in there and got their ass handed to them by the North Koreans uh, were driven all the way back. Uh, what color were they? Oh, uh, well, they were white, uh, but they were acting like blacks. Oh, <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my God. You were in the wrong job, sir. You should be in PR. Uh, anyway, but no, I mean, yeah, so so the so the whites get pushed all the way back, what, near above Seoul, all the way back to the Pusan perimeter, which we'll get to soon. The uh, the black uh, regiment comes in, gets pushed back a bit, and so, somehow they are magically incompetent, whereas the whites were just, what, outclassed? Are you even allowed to say that yeah. when you're talking about yeah. communists? So th- this is complete uh, bullshit. But I want to keep in mind, having read um, all of that negative stuff about the treatment yes. of African-Americans by the U.S. military at the time, I just want to point out that this is the army of freedom and liberty that is... Oh, absolutely. Uh, That's uh, why we're there. the communists, yeah to, yeah, to destroy the communists because they would uh, they didn't understand freedom and liberty like I don't, the American I military don't get your did point. with its segregated <laughs> unit. The 24th fled again on the 29th of July after facing a mortar barrage the U.S. Army ended up having to put another regiment and roadblocks behind yes. the 24th yeah, 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 to yeah, stop yeah. them right. from running away. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. I was just, just going to say real quick, a part of that was that word got around, whether it was true or not, and we'll go into this later because it happened on both sides, um, that some American soldiers were found with shots to the back of the head and their hands tied by wire. And it was it was uh, assumed by the combat troops, the Americans, that the North Koreans were not taking prisoners. And so they quickly developed what the officers called bug-out fever, as in they would not hesitate to advance to the rear without orders if given the chance because they would just get the hell out of there because they know they're inept they know they're out there being out of um, classed and so they would literally run away without orders and like you said the officers had to actually put barriers behind them to try to slow them down or stop them from retreating so this is not looking good right now and of course you know normally when you invade a country you hope sure. that if you get captured by the enemy they will make you a nice cup of tea and I do. Uh, some yes. cucumber sandwiches. Right. Oh, and, love, uh, give you a, love cucumbers. Give you a bit of a foot massage. Right. And, and it was shocking yeah. to them <laughs> that that wasn't the case. And kimchi, right? Is that the first thing kimchi. you asked for? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, General yeah. William wasn't Rocket it, Man Dean? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't, wasn't he the leader of North Korea, kimchi? Uh, that's what <laughs> they thought at the time. Yeah. <laughs> he makes the best. He makes the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, even, even the better American regiments really struggled during the early days of the war, of, as we've seen. Um, you know, right. But one of the tactics that they came up against is they'd see a, this massive herd of what they assumed were refugee, refugees in civilian mm-hmm. clothes approaching the American p- 
position. And there were lots of refugees in the south, people, right. you know, in, in moving away from the north as they were uh, pushing their way south. But yes. then uh, at the last moment, the uh, herd of refugees would part like the Red Sea and there would be North Korean infantry behind them. Yes. And yeah. the, the refugees themselves in civilian clothes were actually uh, KPA, North right. Korean troops. Uh, so there was all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, and they, they would then charge the Americans with this, uh, which gets referred to in the history books as a suicidal human wave at point-blank range. Right. But I just have to say real quick, that ties back into something you said an episode or two ago where you've got to the to the Americans, let's be honest, all Koreans look the same, whether they're from the north or the south, whatever. And so we don't trust any of them. We don't know who to trust. And the, and the, the South Koreans aren't that great a fighter. So pretty soon the American troops are not going to respect them even though they're trying to defend their own country. So very quickly, the Americans, like you said before, the Americans assume all of them are gooks. They don't respect them. They don't really care about them. Uh, they have no concern for them. The Americans have been thrown into a hell pit, and they're just trying to survive. So any kind of humanity or concern for fellow human beings who are not white uh, quickly goes out the window because you don't know who you can trust. And and, and we've seen this before in Vietnam, the worst aspects of the Americans start to come out even early on in the Korean War. Yeah, I think war, you know, tends to bring For anybody. The aspects yes. of everybody. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. just Americans. But right, absolutely. It, you know, the, as you say, the North Koreans, unless they needed a prisoner like General Smith for propaganda purposes. Or a medic. Uh, yeah. They would just terminate them. Uh, mm-hmm. And they did. They would execute them. And the way this gets portrayed in Western history books right. is that it's it's a it's an act of brutality to kill prisoners. Yes, uh, it, it gets it gets propagandized by the West as oh look at these horrendous uh, communists etc. and what they do there animals lack of regard for human life etc. etc. Yeah. But you and I have been doing history podcasts for about four hundred years and <laughs> we've we've been telling stories of the right. treatment of prisoners. Going yeah. right back to Alexander the Great through Julius Caesar, absolutely, you name it, everyone all the way through. Uh, include who was the uh, who was the Gallic leader? I can't remember. Went up against yeah. Caesar Vercingetorix. Vercingetorix, uh, yeah, starting his own go- people, his own people, yeah, women and yeah. children, um, yeah. So all the way through, and I remember Napoleon in my Markham series with uh, Napoleon Mm -hmm. series with Markham was pretty much the Markham series with Napoleon. (laughs) Um, Sir David, uh, the way that Napoleon had to execute uh, prisoners in Egypt at Acre and places like that, right? Um, But it's the same is true here. So I want I want to point out that the the. Korean people in general, not just the North Koreans, but the Korean people in general, in 1950, were a poor people, poor, yes. illiterate people. 75% of the population were peasants. Right. If you capture 10,000 prisoners mm-hmm. and you can't even feed yourself and your family, yeah. Yeah. what are you supposed to do with the prisoners? You've got a couple right. of options. You let them go. In which case they turn around and fight you again. Exactly. Uh, or you put them in some kind of makeshift prison, but you, you can't afford to feed them, so they just starve to death. Right. Or you execute them. 
and yes. throw them in a hole in the ground. Uh, can you can you think of a fourth option? Uh, you could do what Hitler offered to do with the Jews originally. Was say, listen, <laughs> we'll put them on boats, right. uh, and send you can take the them. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll send them out to the west. But you know, North Korea didn't really have a great uh, uh, New Navy. diplomatic uh, oh, situation yeah, yeah, with too. the rest of the world at this stage. So, <laughs> right, except yeah. for Russia and China. Uh, who had their own fucking economic problems feeding their own people. Right. So what are they going to do with these people? It, it, it seems, I know this sounds uh, ridiculous, but it seems like the most humane thing to do, and I know this is what Markham, uh, you know, uh, fucking military man himself, served in Vietnam. By served, I mean was a cook. Uh, right. it, 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 what, what, what do you, oh, actually, he was, a, he was a secretary, I think. He was a typist or something. Um, it's the most humane thing to do is one argument, okay, is to execute them, right? right. Or you can let them go is maybe more humane for them, but you're just letting your enemy go to come back. Now, if yeah. you're a wealthy country right. who can afford to take Principles. care of prisoners, yeah. different thing. You know, right. if you can afford yeah. to feed prisoners and the Geneva Convention, the conventions are all about this, etc. Again, North Korea wasn't a signatory to the Geneva Conventions, but they couldn't afford to do it even if they were. They were a, right. they were a poor yeah. country. And if I can just add another plank to that, and I, I think we've said this, but I don't think we've stressed this. Um, Kim Il-sung knows he's got to dash down the peninsula as fast as he possibly can, push the Americans or whoever else is fighting him into the sea or kill them uh, and take over. He, know, he, he knows he's got to lock this down as soon as he can, because if he doesn't, and we've already seen this happen, the United Nations or at least America will respond and then he's got a much bigger war in his hand. He doesn't want that. So so it's a, it's a military expedient. Um, I'm not trying to be cruel. I can't feed you. I don't have the men to house you. We are on the move, move, move and I've only got enough food for my men and I need them to run like the dickens. So we're going to shoot you all and because again, if I let you go, I have to fight you. That's, that's militarily stupid. So he makes the most prudent decision he can. And if I let you go, you're in my rear. Yeah, uh, I can't. Uh, no, can't tr- yeah. no, no, no. You'll, be, you'll you be robbing my, my supply before. lines. Yeah, I've had sorry. you up my rear, and it's it's never oh, good. No, I'll be well, that's what the ointment's for. Weeks. I keep telling you. Anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> now, despite the many failures of the American and the South Korean troops in those first weeks, they did actually manage to do some serious damage. To the north, mm. they they yes. didn't really have good estimates at the time, but they later found out that between right. the twenty fifth of June and early August, the North Koreans suffered fifty eight thousand casualties. Damn, that's a lot. It is. Well, a lot. I think yeah, I think a part of, and we're going to go into this later, so I won't say too much. But the Koreans, because of Kim Il Sung's um, haste, is is using some of the tactics from the Japanese in World War Two. Is there was there was a lot of amassed night attack which can scare the shit out of anybody. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm an American and I might be a shit shooter or whatever, but if there's enough of us or if we've got artillery or whatever, we're going to take a lot of you out. And as we're going to see, Kim, knowingly or not, and I think he knew, but he was doing the best he could, was bleeding his own army trying to rush to the other end of the peninsula. So yeah, you're right. 58,000 is a staggering number, but the Americans did not know that at the time. Mm. You know, from their perspective, they were just getting stomped on. Yeah, but uh, they were. Yeah. You know, they were actually significant, significantly, significantly. That's how I say it. 
yeah. right. uh, weakening the North Koreans. Um, yes. Now, so by the beginning of August, the US and the ROK, the South Koreans, had been pushed all the way south to Busan or Busan, I think it's called today. Right. Yes. Sort of the very bottom and east corner of Korea. Yeah. Um, it's a place that Max Hastings in his book on the Korean War describes as a grossly overcrowded shambles of corrugated iron, street markets, refugees, military convoys, beggars, prostitutes, and organized crime. That sounds right. Like where yeah. I live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for none of those, we just have cows. No, but, but the reason, the, the, reason the, the defensive line got pushed back that far was because after Taejon, how do you say it? Taejon fell. Uh, they, they, the North Koreans use their right flank to swing around to the south and they charge. And so you're right. The Americans are quickly pinned down in a very small part of South Korea and it's not looking good. And suddenly this little tiny area with a port city becomes the only area that the Americans and the South Koreans control. And so it is overrun with those people who are still left, who oppose the North Koreans. And like you said a couple of minutes ago, Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of refugees are still pouring into that area every day, being allowed to go by the American defensive line. So it is quickly becoming just a clusterfuck of confusion. But if you want to stay away from the North Koreans, that is the only place left for you to go. Yeah, there was nowhere else to run except yeah. get on a boat and go to Japan, which apparently some American officers decided to do. Hell yeah. They were like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I can, that, I can, I can do my bag. job remotely over there yeah. in Japan. Yeah. That, yeah. that bag full of, was it tank mines or something that we, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go looking for those. I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I know where they are. It's oh, still, John, do you want to come with me? Yeah, you yeah, do? Yeah, 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 okay. Yes, let's, I do. John yeah. and I are just going to go, look, it's really important that we find those. We'll be back. Don't, don't, right. don't thank us. worry about it. Don't <laughs> thank us. Yeah. But back the, but the, any time now. Yeah. The point I wanted to make was um, just real quick for the the military setup by August 1st near a a town called Masan, which is only 30 miles or 48 kilometers from the uh, southeastern port of Pusan. That's where the Americans start to build their line. I mean, we're talking the Americans have very little of South Korea left and they are freaking out. Back in the U.S., MacArthur, Dougie Mack, realized that uh, his initial optimism uh, oh. About how quickly this was all going to be over had Missed been slightly right. <laughs> I, I, I missed Do I have it a clip for that? that? I oh, need a no. clip for that. Oh my yeah. god! Hold on, I'm getting a clip for that. Cause... All right. <laughs> We've broken up their bank robbing unit thanks to you, Max. You know something, Chief? I still can't get over the fact that you were prepared to let them get away with five million dollars. Well, it wasn't much of a risk, Max. Here, look at this. This is one of the bills that they took from the vault. $1,000 bill, so what? It's bogus money, Max. Are you sure, Chief? I'm positive. That's funny. Feels real, looks real. It's even got a picture of President Goldwater on it. (laughs) Max, Goldwater lost the election by 17 million votes. Oh, yes, I remember now. Missed it by that much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. Uh, Missed it by that <clears throat> much. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh uh, yes, and he's trying to get as many men as he possibly can. Congress gave Truman $11 billion in emergency defence appropriation back when that was a lot of money. And the number of conscripts... Now it's just podcast money. That's our, that's our, drinking, that's... That's our drinking budget for the weekend. Right. And Do you the number what... of conscripts... I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you said $11 billion for the emergency defence appropriation. Do you know what the mm. current US debt was in 1950? It was two hundred. No, yeah. Sorry, two hundred fifty-seven billion. So, because of a half of a peninsula on the other side of the world, because we fear communism so much, we're going to add eleven billion dollars onto that. And who knows how many of our people are going to be killed? But fuck it, it's communism. So we've got to stamp it out, no matter what. And the number of conscriptions that uh, the U.S. said they required, kept climbing 50,000 men in September of 1950, another 50,000 in October, and 70,000 in November. But they couldn't just snap their fingers and find trained soldiers. It couldn't just blink like Samantha on Bewitched and have them <laughs> magically appear. I've tried that. Unfortunately, oh, I wish yeah. I could blink yeah. and have Samantha appear. The Pentagon... <laughs> Her and uh, I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Oh. oh, and oh. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need a moment. The, Pen- the Pentagon, <laughs> the two of them just getting it on, trying to like out magic each other in a naked like uh, magic off. <laughs> I'm going to need a moment and a cigarette. And and the Pentagon also put pressure on their allies to send as many yes. men as possible. More on that later. But look, a lot, of, of course, a lot of young American men at the time were sucked in by the government propaganda about the crusade against communism and they were signing up to fight the cause. A lot of young guys were also bored at home. This yeah. sounded like a Life great, good. big, exciting Easy. adventure. Yeah, As one guy is reported in, as saying in one of the books I read, this is going to be no war because these people are natives. Oh. So back to the whole, well, they're just good thing. We're <laughs> just going to get in there. It's going to be yeah. easy, fun. Right. And I think some of the um, some of the, the posters or whatever was like, did you miss out on World War II because of age? You didn't have a chance to help with Hitlerism. Well, here's your chance, son. You just turned 18 or whatever the fuck. Uh, get your parents' permission if you're younger. You can help stop out communism. Here's your chance. And they yeah. did. They did sign up. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. And in many cases, they signed up, and within 10 days, they were holding a brand new M1 rifle on the front lines. <laughs> what? 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 I think you mean to say 10 weeks, um, right? Nope. There was massive... No, 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 no. You're right. I'm being a dumbass because 10 days, where's my training? I don't even know how to salute yet. I can't even shine my boots. And now I've got a gun, which don't get me wrong. I mean, this is the, this is why I signed up. It feels good. But now I'm on the front line going, holy shit, that was fast. So 10 days, they're sitting halfway across the world with a gun, and now they're sitting on the front lines. And you know they have no training except for here's the trigger, and the bullets come out really fast on that end. Pretty much all they know. Yeah. Jesus. And, of course, as soon as the first shell exploded in front of them, a lot of them <laughs> wish they were back home. Mommy! Mommy! Milk <laughs> Mommy! In their little bed. 
As late as September, several months into the campaign, the British chiefs of staff, however, were still extremely reluctant to send any troops to Korea. They were expressing their doubts about the ability of the United Nations Army to maintain its position there uh, because they'd been driven all the way back to Busan. Um, And they were very clear with their American friends that they didn't see nuclear weapons as playing a role. There's a quote here from one of their missives that says, we assume there will be no question of using the atomic bomb in Korea. This weapon must, in our view, be kept in reserve for use in the proper place in the event of a major war with Russia. Anyway, there are no suitable objectives for it in North Korea. This is a United Nations police action, and we do not want to kill thousands of civilians and create a radioactive shambles, but with the minimum loss of life and expense on either side to restore the status quo and integrity of South Korea. Damn. As we'll and, see, Dougie yeah. Mack had different plans, different uh, ideas, but we'll nuke get them to all. That. Yeah, yeah. I think it was the British government and the British military that barely passed the vote to send one brigade, not a division, not two or three divisions, one brigade um, uh, to South Korea, and that was only because the Americans were hounding the shit out of them. And when the British do show up. They get like 50,000 photos taken of them so the Americans can use that as propaganda. So, again, this is all bullshit for right now. It's largely an American war, uh, and they need as many allies as they can get. The perception Mm. of allies. And the British just didn't want to get involved in some long, drawn-out, expensive war. Britain uh, was struggling economically, uh, as we've talked about many times after the end of World War II. And they right. also had the suspicion that if they got sucked into Korea, Russia would then strike somewhere else. Right. And they were so they were reluctant to even send a token force, but the stories of who they did send are appalling. Max Hastings, in his book, he's British, of course, as I've said earlier right. on, he used to be uh, Boris Johnson's uh, editor, I think, back in Boris's uh, early days as a journalist. Mm-hmm. He tells stories uh, like one guy who had spent five years as a prisoner in World War II getting called up. He decided to go AWOL instead of being shipped off. His wife told him to do it and said, nobody will blame you. Uh, well, they did blame him and they caught him and they shipped him off to Korea. He'd spent Shit. five years as a POW. Right. Hundreds of former World War II POWs were shipped off to Korea, whether they wanted to go or not, because freedom. (laughs) Well, somebody else's freedom, not theirs, because some of the Americans, you've already mentioned the Americans who were under-trained, sent over to South Korea. Some of the other Americans just had their uh, reserve status extended for another year. So now, suddenly... You know, they go from this office job or whatever, thrown back into uniform, but at least they fought five years ago. But you're right. So there's some British kids and there's some Americans have no idea what the fuck they're doing. And now they're sitting on the front line facing the North Koreans in T-34s. We have to go to Korea. Why? To defend freedom. I don't want to go. Well, you have to go whether you want to or not. Who in the fuck asked you? To to fight for freedom. Do I have the freedom not to go? No, No, you don't. It's not how it works. That's not no. how it works. <laughs> Oi, where were we? 
There was a story in Max Hastings' book about a, a, an enraged housewife who pushed her three young children before her into a recruiting office, shouted at the young officer, you've taken their father, now you can look after this lot as well. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, one man yeah. was taken from his wheelchair-bound wife who was entirely dependent upon him. Uh, he was, though, later flown home from Hong Kong when they realised what, what they'd done. Right. Uh, they were very Jeez. angry. It really was quite a tricky situation, said Captain St. Clair Tisdall. That's Good name. the most toffee British name I've heard in a while. St. <laughs> Clair Tisdall. Tisdall. Hello. St. Clair Tisdall. St. Clair Tisdall. St. Clair, hell. Yeah. If he'd been James Bond, he would have said. <laughs> we would have lost the Cold War. We would have my lost is, the Cold War. My name is Tisdall. St. <laughs> Clair Tisdall. And people would have just started laughing. And Slapped him. And, and, yeah. Yeah. You're so cute. Come to that, I think we were all fairly horrified. Most of us were heavily married with young children. Heavily married. I've been married three you, times. I'm, I'm not right. sure I've ever been heavily, heavily married. Is that when she gains winter weight? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that means. Soldier Bill Cooper said the general feeling was that we shouldn't be going, that it had nothing to do with us. There was an undercurrent that the Yanks had got themselves into a mess again and we were being sent to bail them out. Oi. Yeah, that was the but perception. Yeah. A few British soldiers seem to be quite keen. Here's one quote. We thought it would be like Europe. Lots of looting and women, said one. Oh, uh, good times. Because that's what we yeah. did in Europe on the tour yeah. of love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Chrissy wasn't looking. Anyways, that's a whole nother series of uh, stories. Yeah. The Royal Marines were keen to go, though, row, row. Think keen to go though, Ray, Row, Ray, Ray, Row. Yeah. Row. Yeah. You got any? You want to share some Royal Marines stories with the listeners? You, did you get any stories with the N- Marines? No, please tell me. I'm sure you did. Right. The Commando Brigade uh, spent the early autumn conducting a series of hit and run raids on the coast of South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would be landed there by the U.S. Navy and then they'd run around blowing up railways and uh, frightening communist outposts and lost right. only one man in the process. It was all bridge over the River Kwai kind of shit, running in, right. blowing shit up. Um, Americans also blew up a lot of bridges while they were in Korea, quite often with uh, Korean women and children on them at the huh. time, but... Yeah. More, more on that later. Right. Uh, newspapers briefed by the War Office in the UK were in full-on propaganda mode because the British were even less keen about the war than the Americans. Right. Uh, they declared the 29th degrade to be the best-equipped military force ever to leave Britain, which nice. apparently was complete bullshit on their arrival <laughs> in Korea... The 29th Brigade uh, had even worse quality and quantity in terms oh, of equipment and transport and clothing than the Americans had. They were even less prepared. But the media, American media and the British media, were doing their part to provide propaganda to the people back home about why right. they were sending their young men off to fight and ha- what a great job they were doing and how they had the best shit, all the good shit. Right. Jeez. Meanwhile, back at, yeah. at the Battle of Pusan Perimeter, 
mm-hmm. on the night of the 31st of July, it all kicks off. Yeah. So finally, the last of Walker's retreating troops cross over the Naktong River or Naktong River, whichever. I, it depends on which map you look at. And I just have to put this out real quick because I enjoy, the, enjoy this very much. The 8th Army Commander, General Walton Walker, I think his name is. I know it's Walker. Here's his order of the day. He says, there will be no more retreating, withdrawal, readjustment of lines, or whatever you call it. There are no lines behind which we can retreat. This is not going to be a Dunkirk or Paton. A retreat to Passan would result in one of the greatest butcheries in history. We must fight to the end. We must fight as a team. If some of us die, we will die fighting together. So basically, we've backed up as far as we can go. There's nowhere else to back up unless you're all really good swimmers or you want to finally visit Atlantis at the bottom of the ocean. So they either put, they either get it their act together here or they all die. Fortunately, by this time, the American and other countries were getting their out Uh, excuse me, air power together. They were able to strafe and bomb the enemy troops. They were getting their artillery together. But you just mentioned a second ago, a couple, uh, there were instances where a big bridge was blown up, but there were local refugees on it. There were times when um, long lines of convoys of of refugees were uh, strafed by American planes. The justification was within those lines, there were probably North Korean troops, which may or may not be true, but there was a certain amount of killing of civilians as they were rushing towards the American Pusan perimeter. Just one of those horrible moments of war. And as I said earlier, the North Koreans were dressing up some of their troops, yes. supposedly. Uh, I mean, right. we, I think we'll we never know have, the truth. Yeah, yeah, we only have American uh, stories about this uh, as civilians. Yeah. And so, yeah, the Americans got to the point where they're just like, well, civilians. It's a bit like what we see with... Gook is a gook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen this in Iraq and Afghanistan to to a lesser extent, but you don't Mm -hmm. know if that kid riding a bicycle towards you has an IED in the bike or not. And there's, you know, once there's been a a couple of instances of that, yeah, they just, you know, shoot on sight. Now, in front of the Pusan perimeter lay the Naktong River, as you said. It was a quarter and a half mile wide, shallow enough, though, to be forded at many mm-hmm. places. But it had steep hills either side of the banks, steep right. hill ranges. So it was a position of pretty good strength for mm-hmm. the Americans and the ROK troops that were there. Very uh, hard to penetrate. Right. Um, Pretty easy to defend. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good location to dig in. Yes. However, there are drawbacks. The Pusan perimeter front, whatever you want to call it, the line was like 130 miles long. Uh, General Walker's got 95,000 men which sounds impressive, but 47,000 of those were Americans, and we've already gone over the inconsistencies of quality when it comes to training and equipment. Uh, There are um, South Korean troops. I think there's like 45,000 of them. A lot of them did not have training as well, and and again, the Americans sometimes learned better than to put them on the flanks, on the ends of the line, because they would just use that as, as an opportunity to disappear into the night, even though it's their country they're supposed to be uh, helping to defend. There's the British Brigade as well, but like you said, not the greatest caliber in the world. So 95,000 men sounds great, but when it's a 130-mile line, that is not really going to do the job. And so the North Koreans are going to come, and they are going to, despite the river, give it their all to pierce this line. And the vast majority of the ROK troops 
were not only untrained, but had been dragged at gunpoint from their villages just days before being sent to the front to fight for freedom. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, basically, um, and we'll get into this later, but Ree had his special police go around to villages, and if there was someone who looked like a male who was either just old enough or not quite dead yet, who could lift a gun, carry a gun. Congratulations, you've now uh, entered the service. And they were, by gun uh, gunpoint, taken, shown what to do with a gun for an hour or two, and then thrown on the front line. Congratulations, you get to help fight for freedom. You're welcome. Whether you want to or Whether not. <laughs> we'll shoot you if you try to leave. Ironic, yeah. isn't it? Now, by this stage, the UN forces actually outnumbered and outgunned the North, but Mm. most Americans in Pusan at the time probably didn't know that and probably wouldn't have believed that if you told them. They'd been pushed to the bottom of the country by by what seemed like just a horde, Genghis Khan's hordes, (laughs) like a limitless enemy doing suicide attacks, just wave after wave after wave. Yeah. And uh, yeah. they just felt demoralized, like they'd been had their like. And again, we've we've talked about these young American kids going mm-hmm. over there. The vast majority of whom probably heard about the heroic exploits of the American military in World War Two. They right. think America is the greatest country ever. Jesus, uh, you know, uh, invented White America. Jesus. Right. White Jesus was an American. Invented, yeah, was an yeah, American. Yeah, was an yeah. American and right. uh, invented and, and a Republican. And, uh, and he... Uh, and a Trumper, right? Yeah, and, and, and you know, would have would have given thumbs up at segregated military units and Sunday right. He, um, <laughs> in fact, the original version of the Bible had that written right. in it. Uh, keep your, keep your darkies separated not. from your whites. Yeah, let that, your darkies <laughs> stay after Sunday. <laughs> That was one of the 12. It was one of the original (laughs) commandments. And then these fucking white liberal elites in Hollywood uh, had it, had it, <laughs> they dr- they dropped they the third tablet. Oh, I was going to say they purposefully dropped the third tablet. It smashed on the ground, and now ten, ten commandments. <laughs> Fifteen. Oh shit! Ten, ten commandments. <laughs> it's a Mel Brooks, right? Yeah. History of the world. Yeah, they come yes. up. Oh, gold. Love him. Gold. Love him. Gold. Yeah. Gold. <laughs> But Kim knew uh, what he was doing. He was throwing his men in, trying to use psychological warfare against the Americans. And like you said, it was fucking working. Well, and like you said, Kim knows, Kim Chi knows that uh, he, he, he's racing the clock here. Timetable, yeah. Yeah, the, the UN will get more troops. They will build up support. He has to kick them all out of the country uh, right. before that happens. Or at least beat them up so badly that no, mm. no none of the allies want to send troops right. and, I'm not going. That, and that American yeah. public support for the war withers away and right. he has the country, uh, his country, his country right. back. Um, but uh, yeah, he really struggled to, to yeah. break through. Um, it, it started, as I said, the night of the 31st of July, kept going through August 
On the night of the 5th of August, the uh, North Korean 4th Division mounted a huge attack against the US 24th, the Battle of Naktong Bulge. Good name. They uh, successfully got across the river with tanks and guns, overran mm. the American outpost positions, built up strength on the east bank over the next few mm. days. They got pushed back, but it wasn't until the 17th of August. But this was happening up and down the river. North yes. Koreans would get across. Uh, the Americans would just hammer them. American air and artillery concentrations would hammer them day and yeah. night, day and night, day and night. And finally, they would get pushed back. They couldn't reinforce the North Koreans, it says, couldn't reinforce their sort of leading elements. They kept being mm -hmm. repulsed. The 25th Division had a week-long tank battle in a place called the Bowling Alley, which was a, oh. a sheer-sided valley at Taigu. Again, the North Koreans couldn't break through. But imagine being able to go and watch that. A week-long tank yeah, battle in I'm, I'm the sorry, Bowling Alley. I'm sorry, I would want to see that. Yeah, but just, just picture want to make a movie. Long... I just want to yeah. make a movie oh, about oh, that. Like yeah, yeah. just a, yeah. a tank battle in the bowling yeah. alley. Right. Like how uh, awesome and I know there's be? there's very little sex that probably happened, but I'm sure that we could throw some in. But just picture a long line where there's a piercing here, there's a piercing there, it gets pushed back. There's another night attack. There's a piercing. The tanks come across. They try to consolidate. The Americans hammer them with their artillery. I mean, it was just gruesome. To the Americans, it felt like, we are barely holding on, and if something doesn't give soon, we're going to lose. What they don't know is that the North Koreans are saying the exact same thing. We're barely holding on, and if something doesn't change soon, we're going to lose. But as we said a couple of minutes ago, the Americans, even though they didn't know it, with their allies, actually outnumber the North Koreans. So you have attrition on both ends, both sides, but it's actually beneficial to the Americans because they can afford to lose more. They didn't know any of this. They were actually freaking out for weeks, thinking we are. it's only a matter of time before we lose. Yeah. But uh, on August 10th, the North Koreans did breakthrough at a place called Pohangdong and the mm -hmm. ROK 3rd Division had to be evacuated by sea by the US Navy. It opened a hole in Walker's line. But again, by 20th of August, he'd retaken the town as the North Korean supply chain just gradually broke down. Um, yes. But US troops arriving in Busan in August found it to be a complete disaster. Here's a quote from Lieutenant Clyde Thor. We realised something was radically wrong the moment we arrived. We could see our advance party sitting on the quay, silent and unmoving. Our mm. unit really was unfit to go at all. We'd been told we would have three or four months in country to train before we were committed to combat. Instead, wow. on the quay side, we were just told to uncrate the weapons and get ready to go in the line. <laughs> Jesus, grab that weapon that you've never held before, put some bullets in it, and get ready to walk because we're heading right yeah. for the front lines. Fuck that. Point this end at the bad guys <laughs> and pull this the, thing here. That's the trick. The baddies, I think is the technical yeah. term. The baddies. the baddies. This end at the baddies. Was that the same person that said when it was, someone, it was an officer from the 25th Division that showed up, looked around, and said, this ain't no police action. It's a war. You better get it into your heads that you can get killed at any second. So, again, this is not a fucking game. This is not John Wayne or whatever. This shit is real. So pay attention or you're dead. That was um, something that the company commander told mm. Private James Waters and Damn. a couple of his 
friends when they arrived, and uh, right. his friends, in fact, were killed within weeks, he said. The one thing I couldn't get over was when these, let's be honest, even though if you come from a poor neighborhood in, somewhere in America, you show up in South Korea, suddenly what you had back home is looking like paradise. They couldn't get over the smell of the human excrement. and uh, they, They're like, why, you know, it's like, why are you using human waste as fertilizer for your crops? Because that was one of the things they had in abundance, you motherfucker. Plus, they didn't have plumbing all over the place like they did in the States. And also what really freaked out these young guys was they were getting off boats and the positions that they held, the places that they held on the boats was being replaced by wounded comrades who were being put on the boats. They get off, a bunch of wounded men put on and sent over to Japan to be worked on. So I, I imagine it was quite the shock for a lot of these kids as they get off the boat and they experience all these sensations all at the same time. Do you know what the um, historic uh, euphemism is for using human shit as fertilizer? Politics. No, what? What? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, night, n- night soil. Night soil. Yes, I. Yeah. Okay. Nice one. I like that. Because men, men, the men who had jobs, the night man right. would come around and he would take the crap out of your latrine or your, your right. septic tank, your your cesspool, and their job was to go and take it to the farms where it could be right. spread around. Yeah, Was that the guy that would also sing while he was doing it, Nightman? Or was that yeah. uh, working was with Charlie. the Dayman? Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Charlie Day, yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Robert Taplett, who was the commander of, uh, some Marines and the 1st Marine Provisional Brigade landed in Korea on the 1st of August. He said everything seemed in turmoil. There were too many people with a wild stare in their eyes. The whole story of the army at this period is a very unsavory one. Right. American army units were just abandoning their dead and even abandoning their wounded on the field. And as I said before, some officers had just made their own way back to Japan. They were like, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm out. I'm yeah. only 5,000. I left the lights on. Uh, Sergeant yes. John Pearson of the 9th Infantry later said, everything I had read about Bataan, I felt in the first few hours after landing at Pusan. People were just completely demoralised. We were told right off that the front had collapsed. As we were taken forward on the train, we could see GIs on flat cars without weapons going the other way, stragglers yeah. getting out. New arrivals were just dumped out in the countryside by trucks, which then turned and drove back towards the city uh, to get more men. God. You mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago the North Koreans' uh, supply line was starting to break down. One, because they were running out of uh, uh, food. And the other thing is because distance. Every time they had a success, their supply line became that much longer. And and so they were suffering because of that. A lot of the Americans, when they got there, were comparing what they were seeing and the things that they had heard before they got there to to the Battle of Bataan in the Philippines, where 78,000 American and Filipino, mostly Filipino troops, uh, surrendered. Um, And what happened there was the Japanese weren't ready to house and feed or take care of all these prisoners. If the Americans give up, 
uh, there would have been another Bataan Death March because the North Koreans, even if they had wanted to feed them, they wouldn't have been able to. So again, you either fight or you're going to, you're either going to die right away or you're going to take weeks to die while you're starving. So these guys were demoralized, but at the same time, highly motivated to the best of their ability, ability to fight or to defend themselves because they did not want to end up like that. But the point is, both sides were fighting haphazardly in their own way for their own reasons. And so it's just a bloody mess with a ton of casualties. Both sides are suffering horribly. A bunch of uh, new guys had been dropped off in the front lines, were filling their canteens in a stream when an officer drove up in a jeep, jumped out and started screaming at them, asking what the fuck they thought they were doing. Right. And the officer turned out to be General Dub Dub himself, Walton Walker. Uh, they said nice. they were getting something to drink. What are you thinking of? He shouted. I want your asses forward. Don't God. even. I thought he was going to say, yeah. don't drink the water at the yeah, stream. Yeah. It's contaminated. Right. We've got Pissed. some fresh some... water here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's got bacteria in it. You'll be dead. You'll be shitting right. yourself or you'll be dead. <laughs> you will literally uh, shit yourself to death. No, that yeah. wasn't his issue. His get issue was, ass. stop wasting yeah. time. I want you to right. go get killed. You're not going to need the water, son. You're going to be dead. Right. So just go up <laughs> there. Don't worry about it. Don't. You don't, don't need water when it. you're dead, son. In that's fact, right. throw the canteen away. That's, that's yeah. science. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've done a study. The Pentagon commissioned a, a study on this. A lot yeah, of studies, been, as you can see. That's really what we're doing here. We're not fighting. <laughs> we're just doing a really, scientific. really big study as to whether or not water you need water when you're dead. And bullet yeah, holes. Yeah, yeah. and Yeah, so get to the front. Yeah. Pearson, uh, I mentioned before, mm-hmm. uh, 27. He was a veteran of the Pacific War said he was dismayed at how far the U.S. Army had declined since 1945. Somehow the whole thing had come unglued, he said. One morning he watched uh, the 1st Provisional Marine Brigade launch uh, an assault on the Battle of No Name Hill, Mm -hmm. Uh, so-called because it didn't (laughs) have a name. Uh, Barry and Stan were calling <laughs> for that one. Uh, $50 million? They were, we need and a they name. Were, like, yeah. We need oh. a name. We're, we're going oh. to attack this hill. Yeah. We, we need to know what we're going to call it. And they, they were right. so, they were like, right. they packed their bags. They were heading <laughs> for the airport, man. They were like, this is <laughs> fucked. We thought this was going to be a cruisy gig. Right. We are out. They were like, just uh, call it No Name Hill. And they were like, right. oh, thanks very much. And yeah, Barry, then they invoiced yeah. The uh, Pentagon for fifty. Exactly. Barry turned to Stan and went, oh, I, "I got it. I got it. Every hill. Wait for it. Every hill has a name. We won't give it a name, huh? Huh? Oh, and yeah. High five. Oh. And they <laughs> they collect yeah. on the plane, coked mm. up, and had these stewardess take off her panties and sit on their lap. And they flew uh, to Japan uh, like any executive madman. So, yeah, it was also called the Battle of Bloody Ridge later on. It goes on from August 18th to September the 5th. And this is where the Australians start to come in. So, as you can imagine, and I'm, I'm not going to go into to a lot of detail, but there's so much fighting, there's so much shooting, and the, and, the, and the battle's going back and forth. The defenders, the allies, start to run out of bullets, and just as it looks like they're going to get their goose cooked, Australian pilots come over and strafe 
uh, the uh, the North Koreans who are attacking more than once, saving a lot of uh, American and South Korean and British lives. So again, the uh, the allies are starting to be a lot more coordinated and effective with their air power. And I've got a lot more on the Australians mm-hmm. who oh, are responsible for that, but I think we'll leave that for the next episode because we're an hour okay. over an hour. Oh, but. Okay. Um, Pearson, just finishing off, Pearson yeah. saw the Marines going up No Name Hill. He said they went up in columns of companies. They came back on stretches in columns of platoons. It was a magnificent thing, but out of another era. A typical Marine frontal attack. All right. Well, that is uh, 195. We'll be back soon with 196, Ray. But before we go, I just want to say you... Missed it by that much. <laughs> An iron curtain has descended across the continent.